It's springtime in Brooklyn. Peter's stripping copper wire from industrial machinery. He's been arguing with the landlord again. I can hear him from the fifth floor where I lie in the heat with the rest of the sinners at the top of the building. How much metal do you have to strip to pay your rent when it fetches eight cents a pound? I'm worrying about health insurance. I'm fearful that every ache and pain will leave me bleeding out on an operating room table because I can't meet my deductible. I'm dreaming of returning my degree for a full refund, taking that cash overseas for a place near the water, and an easy life. I'm shopping for tank tops and shorts because I gave away everything that I owned on the day that I decided to no longer plan long term. It's springtime in Brooklyn and everyone asks when I'm coming back to the States, but I've been here the past five months. I've been faking that I know the rumba in Harlem for a Cuban film. I've been sitting on the cold concrete floor of a Bushwick warehouse listening to Randy Mason rap about the B-O-O-G-I-E down. I've been kicking an addiction to those breakfast burritos at the coffee shop on Hooper. I've been running down Canal Street at midnight to make it home before you're knocked out. I've been refusing to click another work-related rejection email. I've been walking. I've been walking where your eyes tear up from the wind. I've been walking with unemployed and after the party blasting through my earbuds walking where we're watched over by evil eye bracelets, walking over the bridge to a downtown diner, to the Chinatown bus to Philly, to that pizza shop under the M train that we keep putting off and have finally had and it's not really that good. Walking to the rooftop that no one else uses. Walks where you're catcalled by stoop creeps. Been embracing curiosity as we watch bonfires on Marcy with the Yiddish dance music blasting at 10 p.m. It's springtime in Brooklyn and it's birthday season. It seems like all I know are Geminis. And I get to still be a kid on your day and on your week and on your month as I blurt out my masterful schemes and childlike delusions about fantastic scenarios because I just won't grow up. It's springtime, and these are the things that swim through my mind on those moments when I go quiet, and you ask if I'm okay, and I don't quite have the poetry to explain it in the moment. It's springtime, and soon the longest days will bleed into the warmest nights, and really, there's no place in the world I'd rather be. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 115. Today is Wednesday, May 29th, and I'm recording from home here in Brooklyn, New York. It's hot. Summer's come a bit early, but it's also beautiful out. And as you probably know, the next big thing that I'm gearing up for is 
Morocco, really Spain, Morocco, and Portugal. So that's coming up in a couple weeks. I don't know if there will be a lapse in episodes uh, or if I'll be recording from the road again, but we will find out together. Today, my guest is Linda Thatch. She is a cafe and restaurant owner here in Brooklyn, New York. She owns Little Skips, Baby Skips, Little Skips East, and Little Mo. And I think Little Skips uh, also has like a little pop-up shop at a meditation place in Manhattan. So needless to say, that is a hard thing to do. I mean, maintaining one successful restaurant or coffee shop in New York City is tough. New Yorkers are hard, man. If you haven't lived here, um, maybe you don't know, but if you've lived here, New York can eat you alive. And uh, it's really, really impressive that she's been successful with four places that have kind of become an institution in the Bushwick neighborhood of Brooklyn. So we talked about her businesses, uh, her start, how she balances out work and the rest of her life, uh, her yoga training and all sorts of really cool stuff. She's really inspiring and she is a badass entrepreneur. So hopefully you will be inspired as well. Check out the show notes for this episode as always to find the social media and the website and links and things like that for Linda and for all of the Little Skips families of restaurants. Do you say restaurants, cafes? Maybe cafes is a better word. Um, And you can go to the show notes for this episode to find my Patreon account. That is how you can support this podcast monetarily. It is patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter. You just go to it and it is a subscription-based service where you can give monthly. $1, $5, $10,000, 10 million, trillion, bajillion dollars if you are so inclined. And that will go to keeping these episodes coming. Also, make sure if you are in New York or in Brooklyn, you head on over to Little Skips, to Little Mo, to Baby Skips, and you give them some love and you have some amazing food and some really good coffee and you say, Tim Vetter sent me. Probably no one will know what you're talking about, but eh, I don't know. Maybe. Anyway, okay. Regular jump right now, no song or anything like that. So you'll hear just my interlude music and then you will hear the conversation with Linda Thatch. Enjoy, Voyagers. Thank you for coming on. This is exciting. Yeah, thank you. Cool. All right. So I want to sort of like start at the beginning. Um, do you have a background in either like food and cooking or in business? Business. Okay. Well, I mean, a background as in I would, I would just, I mean, I went to school for finance and economics in Florida. Did you grow up in Florida? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you know like right away at that time, like, oh, I'd like to do something related to food? No, I thought I was going to be a badass stockbroker. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is quite different. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to work on Wall Street. I was really into finance. I read the Wall Street Journal every day. <sighs> it was just something economics to me was like my heart. Really? I, I loved economics and just 
the laws, you know, like the laws that govern things. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of like they just exist, and it, it's like this intangible thing that you that. But you know, yeah. Have you ever seen the movie Pi? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that makes me think of that. How like everything is sort of governed by math. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, that's interesting. Okay. Um, I don't want to start dark, but I saw you like write something about early life. Uh, so I have it like quoted here. Okay. <laughs> um, and I don't know if you meant this in a general sense or not, um, but when you were writing about like being a leader, you wrote about being born into a traumatic experience. Like, is that something specific to you or do you just mean like the human condition? Like, uh, into the end of the Pol Pot regime. Yeah. Yeah. So I was born into that and... Um, basically without a home, you know, our homes were destroyed. Family was split up. Uh, my mom became pregnant with me. My dad left us. So it was just like, um, I don't remember it, but I'm sure my cells were affected by it. Mm. And it's something that I currently am trying to uncover and deal with. Yeah. Uh, Is it okay to be asking about this? Oh yeah. Okay. This is something I want to actually... Now I'm, I'm very, I want to actively put out there because I think it's important to talk about it and I haven't talked about it. Mm. And I think there's so many people from Cambodia and just other countries too um, that share the same story but don't know how to talk about it because it does bring up so, so much trauma. And I'm just, I'm, I've been working on dealing with trauma, you know, like directly with, mm. with the yoga, with everything that I do um, is, is very trauma-focused. Did your mom come here as a refugee then? Yeah, we we all did. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, so you were you were born in Florida or you were born in Cambodia? Born in Cambodia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So I was there for a few years before I came. And we lived in refugee camps, so it's not like I... I was born and then we we're, we started to escape. Right. Um, my dad left us because he didn't think he would make it with us. So it was my mom and I and she was pregnant with my sister. Wow. And we basically... If you could get to the Thailand refugee camp, right. you would have asylum. So that was our goal. And so as a one-year-old, um, I was walking from Cambodia to Thailand to try to find the refugee camp for, I don't know how many months, but her wow. stories, you know, it's, it was, that's how I learned of it, through my mom and dad's stories. Yeah, that's, well, so do you reconnect with your dad after that? Yeah, so she found him. So he, you know, he left us in the middle of the night. Um, like I said, she was pregnant. I was one, left us in the middle of the night and months and months later, she said, you know, she said she was determined. She had a picture of him. And as we were, we kind of had a general idea of where this refugee camp was. So she would go from village to village showing pictures or showing a picture of my father and saying like, do you know where this man is? And she was just like going on a hunt for him. That's incredible. Closer to the border, she actually found him and he was like, oh my God, <laughs> so what are you doing here? Yeah. So he decided, well, you know, she found me and I felt obligated to, to stick with you guys. And so we, stayed, we lived in the refugee camp together. Wow. Um, kind of reunited. He kind of understood that he did some, a wrong thing. Um, and then we stayed in the refugee camp together. And then we ended up going from, Th- we stayed there in Thailand maybe a year, and then we got transferred to the Philippines for about a year. Mm. And then we um, got a sponsor and, and was able to come over to the States. My dad's sister was already here. Wow. I mean, so then it's not just like a cellular epigenetic level. You like, I'm, I know that you were quite small. You actually went through these experiences yeah. too. Yeah. Wow. You know Manila, huh? Mm. 
Mm-hmm. He has a, a quite a similar story. He came on here one day. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, I wanna I wanna listen to that. Yeah. Huh. And I mean, I, I obviously have no connection to this, but like, and maybe this sounds stupid, but like I read um, uh, First, First They Killed they My killed Father, my yeah, <laughs> and just like, yeah, that's I'm a, like... That's a really good book. Yeah. yeah, and just like the images from from reading that are like, that That sounds kind of familiar. Mm-hmm. Wow. So like, is this something that your mom ever talks about? Because I'm sure it'd be difficult, but that's also like, it sounds weird to say an amazing story because it's like uh, quite a sad story, but still kind of amazing at the same time. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I wish I, I was in a better place to document the story. I mean, I, I have my memories and my dad's still around, but my mom passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. Like 15, 14, 15 years ago. Oh, okay. I can't even count anymore. Um, but yeah, so I eventually one day would like to share it in a book. So my dad's yeah. still around, um, you know, and because of, you know, a lot of this stuff, like we, I, I would like to sit down with him one day and, and kind of document the story and have him really, and tell it from his side. Yeah. I know my mom's side because she always talked about it with me because it was something that was difficult. It wasn't She didn't like sit down and tell me the story. She was more like grieving. <laughs> yeah. So that was um, kind of how I learned about it. So I definitely, you know, um, I put it, I locked it up and put it away for a while. But now I'm like, I, I'm in a better place. I feel like, I'm a little more mature yeah. um, to be handling emotional, you know, things. Uh, (laughs) I've heard similar stories that's really interesting of, you know, once you're an adult sort of reconnecting with like your family's culture and things like that. Um, I was going to ask, is there like a, was, can you recall at least like a process of like assimilation? Did your mom not speak English when you were a kid? Yeah, we, none of us did. Wow. So it was quite a... It was very, you know, we had we had to adjust, and it was not easy. Um, she, they tried to do everything they could for us to get us to be American. They sent us to church, even though they didn't go. Yeah, um, they would have us go with the neighbors. Someone just asked me this, like, "Oh, how do you know so much about?" Because I like know Bible verses still. Really, and, um, but uh, yeah. So I went to church growing up. I was in um, Awana, which is like this girl, all girls, like church club. Um, yeah, and just grew up going to Christian or I went to a Presbyterian church, a Baptist church and yeah. Wow. I don't even know what those mean. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I don't really get it either. <laughs> so. Wow. Um, so then, I mean, I'm jumping around a bit, but, uh, does that sort of like, uh, for like Mo's or for little Mo, right? Like, does that sort of like inform maybe, um, like cuisine choices, do you think like, ah, oh, I'd like to represent, you know, food from Cambodia at my establishment? Yeah, I mean, I've made, Mo was more of my, um, just like it was a test, you know, to see if I could do it. So the food there is very approachable to what people recognize now, which is Vietnamese food, mm. banh mi. I'm not Vietnamese. Mm. My father grew up on the border and he associates with Vietnam like very heavily. Wow. Um, he speaks Cambodian, but he growing up, he mainly sp- spoke Vietnamese. My family still lives in Vietnam. Like his side of the family still oh, lives okay. in Vietnam. Um, so I don't, I do feel like I'm kind of half and half, but if it, if you look at it like blood wise, he is Cambodian. He just I kind see. of grew up on the border. Um, so I created the menu more to 
for, for it to be approachable to people because I wasn't sure how Bushwick would take it, mm. you know. Um, but I knew that Vietnamese food is already something that's known. If I had said Little Mo, Cambodian cuisine, I don't think it would have done as well, to mm. be honest. Um, so some, you know, people may think that's like like a sellout or whatever, but I really think that it's um, it's just kind of something I knew that would work. Yeah, I mean, it is a smart business decision. Like there... As far as I'm aware, there aren't like a whole lot of Cambodian restaurants in New York City. Um, no, no, there's one in like the Upper East. Yeah. Like 80 something. It's called Angkor. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's the only one I know of. And there was one called Kampuchea um, by the same guy. Oh, I forgot his name, but he does Numpang. So all the Numpang uh, sandwich shops that mm. are around now that have just like. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so he had an original this, location called Kampuchea, and the food was fabulous. And he was also the chef, and he's Cambodian. Um, and then he opened Numpang, and then he clo- closed Kampuchea. Uh, but now he's oh. those sandwich shops are like everywhere, and it's kind of one of the inspirations for Little Mo. Really, I'm like, but he already the Numpang means banh mi in Cambodian, oh, so okay. it's the same word. So Numpang is banh mi. Is it like? The same thing, like pork pate. Yeah, same exact thing. Oh, so we, wow. grew, I grew up making that with my mom. Really? So I, yeah, like it was always a special occasion where we got to make banh mi's or numpang. So um, I, I've wanted to put her specialty ones on there, but they're a little bit. Um, my partner didn't think that they were gonna work, so we kind of kept things a little more uh, streamlined, I guess. But eventually, if I when I have my own shop, I want it to be a Cambodian restaurant. Oh, wow. Um, cause right now I'm, I'm partnered with someone and, and, you know, we have to make these decisions together. Right. So, uh, but eventually I would like to bring some of her recipes, um, for the banh mi's cause she, she was a great cook and that's where I learned how to cook. So I, I was basically in the kitchen since I was five. Wow. <laughs> you also have a friend who, I've actually talked to you about possibly coming on here in a couple of weeks, but she does like pop-ups around here and like, Charia. yeah, mm-hmm. I her, love her. Her stuff looks amazing. I don't know her at all, but her stuff looks amazing. Her food is the best Cambodian food in, in New York. Damn. It's, you know, like she does things with the flavor still. Like I've went to some other people's pop-ups, well, one other, and I will say she has the flavors like locked down, like, you know, it's she's not dumbing it down. She's she's really going for full flavor. <laughs> so I guess then there's uh, I would assume maybe in Manhattan or something. There's a market to get like authentic ingredients that you'd be using in Cambodia. Um, what do you mean a market in Manhattan for that? Well, I would do like a, a a place to go get the spices and the seasoning and like the kefir limes and stuff like that. Like that's yeah, not something you're gonna find in like you know like uh, food town or something probably. Oh yeah, no, you definitely have to go to Chinatown, and even in Chinatown, yeah. it's very it's more Chinese produce. Mm. Um, so a lot of the stuff that we use is is not as easy to find. You may have to order it through. We have like a Asian um, grocery vendor that I use for Little Mo. Okay. And they can source certain things. Um, like raw rum is not really, you can't find that in Chinatown. What's that? It's an herb that we use in, in like papaya salad and some dishes. Oh, okay. It's like long and skinny. Um, I think I know what you're talking about. They call it coriander. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't understand how that. It, it's, it's the cilantro, no? It's not cilantro. Oh. It's like a longer, it's called raw rum. Okay. Like that's, I don't, but I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it's not, it's not that easy. Like even kaffir hmm. lime leaves aren't just sold in Chinatown. 
Really? Yeah. You like have to I, order them special. Yeah, I don't ever see them just being sold because the Chinese don't don't use it. It's a mm. very Southeast Asian yeah um, thing. So I know, like, so you were talking about like making it maybe a bit more palatable to like the tastes of Brooklyn, right? But do you ever have? Uh, let me form this question a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I think that people who are used to like something really authentic, right? Mm-hmm. Can be like the hardest customers, right? Like these are like the people you see on Yelp that are like, oh, yeah. you it's, know, I went to Korean barbecue and I'm from Korea and this shit is not like my mom's, right? Like, I get that, do you all, get the that time, stuff? Okay. all the time. But that's why I went in that direction. Mm. Nothing on the menu is like authentic. Yeah. Like it's, I mean, it's authentics. We say it's still authentic because, you know, it's, it's our recipes. We're cooking it. We're creating it. The flavors are there. But it's not a it's not a recognized traditional dish. Right. It's authentic, as in you have a Khmer person creating the recipes that it you know what. And I grew up cooking it, but I um, also decided to be creative with the menu, so it's a little more exciting. Yeah. Um, like the uh, fried catfish banh mi. I'm from Florida and I love fried catfish, okay. um, collard greens. And like, so that was kind of an inspiration just from my Florida background, but you won't get, that's not a traditional banh mi, right. but that's still on there, you know? That's cool though. Um, we do a bulgogi cheesesteak that's just out of left field. That's just something we thought would, would do well. And it's one of our best selling sandwiches. I saw a picture of the, the braised ribs. Oh my god, that that's looks my favorite dish amazing, on the menu. Yeah. Besides, like that oh, and the pho. The pho is the one thing that I've kept mom's recipe all the way through. So that's mm. definitely I it I can close my eyes and eat it, and I'm re- transported back to my childhood. I'm gonna interrupt you for a second. What was uh, there's the connection? I'll explain. It, but uh, do you still do like catering to like little mama? We haven't recently, but it's still a thing. Okay. Yeah. I asked that because on like I was looking at that menu and you had Faboco. Oh yeah. And like I hardly see that anywhere. Um, but there's a place in like I used to live in Bay Ridge and there's a place that we used to go to get it all the time. Oh really? Oh so good. But like yeah, anywhere you go to like get pho, you never see that. So that yeah. I was excited about that. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's hard. But that was it was something we could be a little more adventurous with and it was just a pop up. Yeah. It started up it started as a pop up for me to train um, my kitchen staff, when we, do you remember we closed? Were you here for that or no? I don't think so. So the MTA closed us down for a few months. So it was like my idea to keep my chefs working. Whoa. Um, so I was like, well, let's do a pop-up. And we were offered uh, Lem Primary, which is the French bakery on Myrtle. And wow. he said, well, I just got my beer and wine. I can stay open later if you guys want to pop up here. So we popped up there and stayed open till like 11 or something um, and just tried to, 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 you know, do some creative dishes there that we wouldn't normally do at Little Mo because okay. it's already a set menu. Yeah. Why did the MTA shut you down? Uh, they were fixing the the M line. Oh. And the M line runs right above Little Mo. <laughs> yes, it does. I, I live like it. right next yeah. to the M too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm jumping around a bit, but let's go back to like the decision to open a place. Um, you opened two at the same time. Is that right? So Little Mo is attached to Baby Skips. Okay. And those opened, yeah, they were two business ventures with two different partners. And I did those two at the same time. (laughs) Ten years ago-ish? Five. Five years ago, okay. Ten years ago was the original location, Little Skips. That's on Willoughby. Okay. 
mm-hmm. but all sort of around Bushwick. Yeah, those two are like a block from me. The three Little Mo baby skips that are attached are about a block and a half from the original location, Little Skips. And then the one you met us at, my fourth location, was open about two years ago. It'll be two years the end of June. Wow. It's coming June. Um, that one uh, is, is the furthest one away from, from all the other ones. Bushwick has gone through changes uh, and continues to go through changes. So even like the Bushwick of 10 years ago is not the, the Bushwick of 2019 and like likely won't be the Bushwick of like 2023, 2025. When you first started, like were there nerves about Brooklyn, nerves about location, nerves about like how fickle New Yorkers can be about like food yeah, establishments? I was never nervous about anything. Really? <laughs> That's how I did it. I mean, I just, I wasn't scared of anything. Well, what do you think uh, lends to, you know, your success and longevity? Probably that, the lack of fear. I mean, I think when I was younger, it was more, it was a little more careless. So it did get me into trouble as well because I, you know, didn't have any sense of, (laughs) I don't know what what to even call it, but because I, I, always took risks and I, mm. I knew that no matter what I'd be okay. So if it didn't work out, I'd, I'm, you know, I have a degree, I have experience in restaurants, I've been a bartender in New York, whatever, I'll get a job. So I didn't really care if, wow. if it was successful or not. It was something I wanted to, to try and, and to see if I could do it on my own. Um, that's wild. Yeah. But I didn't, I wasn't, you know, that's the thing I say to people, like, you just can't be afraid. Like you have this one life. If you're living constantly in a state of fear, you will never get anything done, but you just do it. And then you deal with the consequences. You just have to learn to do something, make a decision, stand behind it or deal with the consequences. And that's just, you know, just how I live. I was a big, um, Bourdain fan. Uh, I saw that you were a Bourdain fan as well. Oh my God. And, you know, I don't, I, I, I was a waiter, right, in my teens and I was like a food runner and then I did like catering. So like I, that's my experience with food, which which is not much. Um, But through him, I think he, you know, like with the Me Too movement, there's a lot of women talking out about like, um, obviously like inappropriate behaviors in the workplace. But I think he also like sort of put out there, you know, through his relationship to the Me Too movement, like, yeah, there's like a lot of, a lot of men who've been behaving badly. And like, even I've seen this, right? and I think at least like at the start of sort of like the popularity of food, right? Like which started with like sort of like food personalities and stuff like that. Uh, it was a lot of men. And now you see sort of like uh, a transition happening, I think, in terms of uh, more voices being heard, a more diverse range of voices. Uh, but did you have to face any hurdles that you think were, you know, because you were a woman in the industry? Yeah, uh, definitely. Really? Um, I mean, even just starting off coming to New York, working in the restaurant business, um, it's, you know, everyone hits on you, Mm. you know, you're from your boss. I mean, it's, it's just happened my whole life. It's just also, you know, um, all my bosses have hit on me, male bosses, um, yeah, it's just like that's it's just a culture. Mm. And I I'm glad that it's coming to light now because I can feel that the culture's changing. People are like, "Oh, I can't do this now because I may be, you know, my you know, I may be, you know, blown up because uh, people will find out." So people are doing the right thing because they're afraid of being, you know, 
put out there, which is good, but it also sucks because that means the in, the intention is still there. Mm. So I think talking about it and shifting the way people actually feel about women and and I, that that also has to change. You know, it's not just like, it, but it's such a historic problem. You know, um, it's bigger than just you know what we're talking about now, but. There has to be a shift in just the way men think about women, the way they treat women, you know, and that's that's kind of where a lot of the harassment and, and things come from because women are looked at as a certain thing for, for so long, you know, since the beginning of time. Yeah, hey, I'm going to segue that into, into you as a boss because that was one of the things I noticed and that was something I was talking to Soak about. Like, um, your employees seemed to genuinely like care for you and like you. And maybe like <laughs> I hope so. Maybe being liked like isn't necessarily necessary, but they um, love me. All right, yeah. Okay, they love you <laughs> and you love them I've seen as well. But like seriously, not and not to like just try to like throw compliments at you, but you know, I've as I'm sure you have like you just mentioned like shitty bosses, like you know, I've had a lot of bosses who just were awful and you know, uh, no one respected or people didn't want to work for them or they were, their authority went to their head. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, did you come into this with like a certain mindset about leadership or did you like learn along the way? Did you screw up a I mean, lot? That's exactly why I, I wanted to start a business to, to do, do, do things differently. Mm. I felt like everywhere I went, I was, like I said, being treated like either just um, a piece of meat um, and I wasn't respected for my opinions at work when I'm like, when I would, you know, try to maybe change something or say, okay, this is a, there's a better way to do this or, you know, just kind of give any input at work and no one listens to you. It's like, just do it my way. This is the way to do it. I don't want to hear anything. Um, and when I started, I, in my little, I actually have like a little tiny book that's actually really little about like three inches by three inches or something. It's, and that was my, where, what I wrote my business plan in. And I definitely wrote that I, I want to change the way food um, establishments uh, treat their staff. Mm. And I, I went out to, to change that. Well, that's really cool. I've also seen that you guys, sort of to like our last point, have um, you at least like used the platform and like the social media stuff to, you know, promote some conscious stuff, some like conscious businesses and things like that that are friends with you. I saw like uh, like a t-shirt company that was making some stuff about like, you know, you know, racism and harassment and stuff like that. So I think that's a cool thing too that like you're using now like sort oh, of the, the popularity women. of the places. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's my, yeah, a friend of mine's brand. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think is the, uh, so, all right, what do you think is the hardest part about, Running not like not even just one successful establishment before. What is the hardest part of all that for you? Um, keeping my sanity, mm. uh, making sure that I don't lose it. So it's easy to lose it when you're busy and you get lost in the cloud of work and taking care of others. And um, and it's happened a bunch of times where I, I lose myself and I have to take a step back or I crash and burn or you know um, I have a breakdown. Cause it's just, you know, you, you forget and then you're in it and there's, it's, everything's so overwhelming and, you know, every day is, is really full. Um, and I deal with a lot of people, a lot of problems, just so many issues. 
and sometimes you get lost. I call it a tornado. You kind of get spun around and you're in it and, and, and then you, you know, it's kind of too late. You're already stuck in it and then you get spit out and then you just have to like repair yourself. I'm going to get to some of those, the ways you balance that in a moment because I've got a bunch of questions about that. But um, something I forgot to mention, so like back to the the Bushwick thing, right? Obviously, when a neighborhood, so like I live in Williamsburg, right? Um, Like not terribly far from here. Uh, But there's a large, like the western part of Williamsburg, right? It's like incredibly like gentrified. Um, And... You know, as Bushwick, as as that sort of spreads out more and Bushwick becomes more popular, obviously, like, more people move in. You start to see the high rises, rents go up and things like that. Um, I mean, it it sounds like you're very laid back to your approach, but do you worry at all about, like, in five years, maybe, like, I'll be priced out of this location or something because rents will go up? Do you ever have to, like, think about that? Yeah, I feel like that's already happening um, with my current lease at the original location. Um, you know, my lease is up this year. Uh, a lot of people are very nervous about what's going to happen. Um, a lot of customers are worried and sad. Um, and you know, it's, I have to make the decision. Do I want to deal with the rent doubling pretty much? Or, you know, do I want to just let it go? Um, is there, is there a third option to move or no? Like, to a different neighborhood? Well, I already have three other locations. So yeah, that's true. I don't really true. need to move anything. <laughs> that's a, that's the other thing. It's like I don't... If the place, is, it is what it is because of that location. Hmm. There's a special energy in the Little Skips location that anyone who walks in, anyone who works there can feel it. It's in the walls. It's in the floors. Like there's just an energy in there that makes it really special and really charming. Um, and I, that cannot be replicated. And I tried that in the two other loca- other coffee shop locations that I have. And you can't, you can't replicate something that has mm. that type of energy. You can't replicate anything really. It's like, it's gotta be its own thing. That's why everything that I re- do again is different. I don't try to do the same thing I've, I've done before. Yeah. I guess it's a bit at this point of a community like institution, right? Like, cause you yeah. have, I mean, um, you have a lot of cool stuff that goes on at your places, like the open mics and uh, comedy shows. Comedy shows, doing really music. well right now. Yeah, live music every week. Um, we do fundraisers. We uh, we give the space to local artists who who need a space to do their crowdfunding or um, screen their film. And you know, I, I don't really, I don't charge for that. Mm. I, I, I meet with the person and I see if they, you know, what their intention is and if they, and if I believe in what they're doing, I'm like, sure, I use the space. And I, I just allow people to, um, you know, have the space t- to, to promote the art that they're, they're working on. I'm really like ignorant about the business side of this. So sorry if like th- this is a little silly, but there's no protections against something like that, like a like a, a rent hike or something like that. There's no way to like petition the local government or something like that. I don't know. Oh, for for the the landlord doubling yeah. the rent. No, not no. Landlords have come out on top in New York for a very long time. Yeah. Um, they have a a stronghold, you know, in city government. And there's, you know, there's, there's, there are things that people are doing now, like tenants are doing like tenant, um, rights and for tenant rights and stuff, but it's just, it's, it's business. It's what's in our contract. My lease is up and 
you know, he can, he's allowed to raise the rent to, it says market value and doubling. I have a really good, good rent right now. So I understand that. So for it to double, I could stay and I could make it work, but I also have other locations that I realize if I stay, I will have to, um, just, uh, relook at the business model, uh, and definitely do things to make more money to, to cover the rent increase and to be profitable still. Mm. So there's just a lot of work to do if I want to stay. And do I have the capacity to do that? I had to be honest with myself and say, look, I've been doing it for 10 years. I have other locations to worry about, but also I'm evolving and there's other things that I want to do. And even though it's sad for me to let it go, I've been trying to find someone to take over or to buy it that has like, you know, that will kind of keep it little skips, Mm. but that hasn't happened. And I also have to accept that maybe it's just not the right thing. I mean, we still have a a few more months, so I'm still hopeful that someone will come in and want to keep it like like an an artist institution, you know, Um, slash coffee shop too. But that's a very like mature Zen approach to it, huh? Yeah, I'm just being open to the universe right now. Yeah, it's gonna if it's supposed to sustain, it will sustain. Um, But also, I have to be open to what I need to do. Yeah, you know, I've been doing it for the community and for my staff for so long that that's what I was saying. Sometimes you have to step back and say, what What is it? I'm am I supposed to do right now? Right. I've uh, been seeing that you've been doing um, a lot of like zero waste stuff recently. Yeah, I'm uh, obsessed. Back to like <laughs> the, the Bourdain thing. Um, I saw him and like Danny Bowen speak because they were in Wasted, the food documentary that yeah. Nari Kai made. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I just I used to like I worked in schools for eight years. I'll be working in school again soon, um, but. When I think about like food waste, like there's so I've worked in like Title One schools where you know lunch is subsidized and uh, so much it gets thrown out by kids. I've been doing like background acting recently just to fill the time between coming back to America and like <laughs> becoming an adult again. And like on set, like so much food is thrown out and wasted. Um, and then yeah, like if you think about even someone like uh, something as simple as like broccoli. Majority of people think take it home, chop. There goes the stem right into the garbage. Oh yeah, yeah, and we, and that's like a lot of vegetables, right? Um, do you? I, I know you employ this in like your personal life, but do you also try to like employ like a, a minimal waste or a zero waste strategy? Wonderful now? question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and um, so I feel like as I was shifting personally into the zero waste movement, I've been slowly. Uh, shifting my businesses. So um, thinking of, you know, constantly thinking of things that I can do to reduce waste in the business because it does break my heart. Um, it's not easy to run a business. I actually think about sometimes about shutting them down because I'm, I'm such a, it, it, like running a business is producing so much waste. Mm. Um, currently we do compost everything, uh, all of our food scraps and our coffee grinds with a local uh, community garden called BK Rot. Um, I've been trying to train everyone to stop using saran wrap. So I've gotten the beeswax, uh, wraps to try to, um, not use saran wrap anymore, but that's hard cause they love using saran wrap mm. and I hate saran wrap. I've never heard of beeswax wrap. Really? Yeah. I'll show you in a second. I oh, have a cool. bunch here, but it's just cloth lined with beeswax and then you can just 
put it on top of something and kind of hold your your hand on it so the heat will mold it to cover Whoa. the you know the container okay um, so that's there I'd have no more plastic straws in my locations um, I sell uh, uh, reusable mugs and I try to promote that I sell um, metal straws um, and the but my now, I went to a food waste fair last week and I was able to speak to Thomas McKillen, the vice president of Baldor, and the guy who created the Sparks program, mm. which uses um, all of their, they sell their scraps and sell like ugly produce as well. And I think that that's amazing because they used to toss the produce that wasn't, you know, pretty enough to be sold. Uh, but now they have um, a, a, a completely different um like lists that you can buy produce that is that is not up to par on their site. So for businesses, it's great because you pay a lot less for those produce. And I love uh, what he's done with the program at Baldor. And I was able to talk to him, but it did spark. I got really inspired. Um, there's a, the city is now providing uh, a grant for businesses that want to go green, but it does cost a lot. It costs money to, to, you know, buy mason jars to put things in and and to shift everything. Um, I'm going to apply for that, but I also have a new goal of being a certified green business now. How cool. When before I felt like I was half-assing it, like I'm more zero waste at home, but I was thinking... I, I can't keep doing like that, doing this and, and feeling good about, you know, running a business. So I really have to, to go all in. And I decided actually just last week. So I am working with a consultant right now and we're working to just um, create a new, a new uh, minimal waste business model for, for little skips and, and all the, all the shops. So I'm really excited about that. I think it's going to take a lot of my time. I'm going to have to, um, you know, work on this very hard. Uh, but I think that being a leader in the community, that's what it means. It's like, if I'm going to do this in my personal life, I really have to, to stand behind it in my businesses. That's awesome. Yeah. So I was out last night and my girlfriend's brother is a chef and he's a chef in PA, but he just got a job in Astoria. So he's moving here. And I was talking about like, oh, I'm doing a podcast tomorrow and this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned like zero waste and stuff like that. And he's like, you know, you might think that you'd be saving money because you're using like more of the products and stuff like that. But he's like, that's actually probably like a lot more expensive and a lot harder to do with your business. Um, to be zero waste? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it, do you, would you say that's accurate? No, I, I actually think if you can learn to, re- if you can put minimal waste practices into the business, it sa- actually saves you a lot of money. Really? Yeah, just... Um, I, I can't go into the specifics. I think that I still have a lot of learning to do. Okay, that's but fair. just um, being at the food waste fair and hearing all of the the, the speakers um, and and like they, they actually have numbers and they've been studying this and so there is a whole um, there's a lot of resources available out there that 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 say the opposite of that. That if you do um, if you go minimal, we we try not to say zero waste because you're going to waste. So if you try to go minimal waste, that you can save a lot of money in that. But it does on the flip side become more expensive in terms of the initial costs. Like I'm considering doing um, glass jars Mm. um, instead of plastic cups. Also um, a bowl program. So if you bring your own bowl, um, you, we will put the food in the container that you bring. Oh, that's cool. It's not DOH you know, approved, but uh, it's one of those things that I will be willing to fight for yeah. 
and and be like, screw it, because that's not fair. If someone chooses to bring their own bowl and have me or their own container and have me put our food in it, I will do it. You know, and I think that that's because they've cleaned it. They know what it's, they, you know, it's a whole sanitary thing with the health department. But there's so many um, regulations that kind of I think are that don't make any sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so that's one of the battles um, for for minimal waste in, in, in restaurants. But, you know, I, I think there, I, I think it's moving in that direction. Um, New York City also has a proposed plan to be to become a greener city by 2050. They have all of these goals laid out now that you can that, that it's available, um, and so the city is going that direction. So I do believe that this is going to become a, a a more um, a more mainstream. Uh, yeah, I hope so, huh? Thing. I mean, it, at least uh, you mentioned the grants. That sounds like a step in the positive direction. If you can start incentivizing these things, we have to do. <laughs> we have to do something. Um, yeah, I mean, right now, you know, we're running out of landfill space. Where, you know, I mean, if you think about every person, just how many iced coffee drinks they get a day, and how many to-go containers, like. You know, I've just chosen that if a business doesn't have stay um, wares that I don't like, I, I want to go to this pokey spot in Williamsburg. It's on Bedford, right? Mm. Um, pokey works or whatever it is. And I want pokey after yoga, but they only have plastic bowls. So I have to make that decision and choose not to go there. But I also can say or email them, hey, have you thought about getting ceramic bowls or just, you know, plastic or bowls to stay so that you don't have to? You know, so that's something I'm going to be working on more is like approaching businesses that I would want to to patronize and just asking them um, if they'll change some ways. And you never know. Someone might actually, if I, you know, write a a good enough email or if I'm convincing enough, someone may think about it because there's a human behind the business. And so if you can, you know, appeal to the emotional side of why you need to reduce your waste or, or, or even think about um, providing, you know, other things besides plastic wear. Uh, I feel like that's a way to start changing, just being vocal. Yeah, and people listening, like anyone can do that. So like if yeah. enough people do it, yeah, maybe a business would change. Oh, that's really interesting. And if you're like, that's the other thing. So like if you're not constantly buying to-go wares and paper towels and all these things, you're reducing your cost at work, you know, at the business. And if people are bringing in their own, like you're, that is money that you save from right. the cups, like reusable cups. Um, if they, if they buy a reusable cup at Skips, I'll put in their first free coffee. They get that, you know, that reusable mug gets filled with coffee. So you just, you save that. Yeah. Not, not to like plug Starbucks. Right. Um, but like even like something as massive as far as like Starbucks, like you, I don't know, like most people know this, like you can go in there with a the reusable, uh, like a travel coffee mug and they'll fill that. Now. Yeah. That's recent. So yeah, it is recent. Ten cents off at Starbucks if you bring a cup. Before it was against their policy. Really? Yeah, they would say no, we can't, and they would have to give you a new cup. And it's weird too. But now that the, uh, they do some things okay, but like, you know, what is the whole thing? They went strawless, or or I, I don't know. But they're like the the new lids that they have that are the sippy are like made of more plastic than the, the, oh, the straw and the old <laughs> lid were. So it just makes. <laughs> And so that was found out. And so, but also, they require all of their employees to put to give you a lid, even if you don't want it. They have to give it to you. And once they give it to you, they can't. Even if you don't take it, they can't reuse it. 
So that's something that you just wasted a lid because I don't even, sometimes at the airport, I, I, I have to go to Starbucks. Yeah, I understand. Um, Limited options. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, I Is usually it? have my reusable mug, but um, a friend of mine didn't have a mug, but I, I said, you know, just don't, don't take the lid. So we got a coffee and he was like, no lid. And the woman wrote on the cup, no lid. And then the other woman who was making the coffee puts the cough, the drink down, takes the lid. And he was like, no lid, no lid, no lid, no lid. She just, she just said, I have to give this to you by law. I have to give this to you. someone might burn themselves? You don't have to take it, but I have to give it to you. He goes, well, I don't want it. Will you reuse it? And she said, no, I can't. I've already given it to you. <laughs> He's like, but I didn't touch uh, it. That's wild. And you're touching, like... So it's just a, still a battle. Okay. Um, but, you know, the more we talk about it, okay, this is going to be put out there. Now you're thinking about it. You talk to someone about it. There's little changes at home that you can make. Right. Bring your coffee mug wherever you go. I have a little case in my backpack with, it's a, it's a silicone Ziploc bag, but it has a spoon, a fork, a knife, and chopsticks. You know, I don't really use a straw ever because it, 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 I don't. I don't like using straws, but I. You can also put a straw in there if, if you like using straws. But like, just that little case weighs nothing, and I take that around with me everywhere. That's a big travel thing too, because there's places that. I mean, I even feel like sometimes here, when you recycle stuff, it doesn't get recycled. But there's definitely places around the world where they don't have recycling facilities yet. Um, and yeah, that's most of the world. Yeah. Yeah, and it's sad. That's why the, the the solution it before it was this big, like, you know promoting recycling, but now we're realizing the truth is, which we were blinded to, not only 9% of plastics get recycled. And Damn, China stopped low. buying our recy- right. recyclables. Um, you know, uh, so that that's huge. And where does it go? It just goes to landfills and um, it, it doesn't go anywhere. It takes over 500 years to biodegrade. So the solution isn't in recycling. It's stop the use of it. Right. Stop buying it. Stop creating demand for it. I don't purchase any drinks or anything in plastic. So if you don't create demand for it as a, as a consumer, they're going to have to change their ways. Drinks will have to come in glass bottles, you know, but you have to, you know, use your, you know, you have to fight with your money. Like that's how I see it because that's the only way. If people are seeing their sales go down on this, you know, drink that's in a plastic bottle, they may start to think differently. Yeah, this is maybe like really on a tangent, but my last guest does a lot of work with like environmentalism and she does, um, she was a lawyer and now she's, she does, she's a free diver, right? And so she like sustainably sources like all of her food. Uh Um, But she posted something recently about how like uh, Carnival and those other big cruise lines, like they have certain agreements with certain countries, I guess, like. To dump their trash. In the ocean. (laughs) What? (laughs) That is. So wild. That blew my mind. Yeah. Nothing gets, and they are so wasteful. Like yeah. those cruise ships are the worst. It's also like, I mean, whatever, but it's the lamest, <laughs> the lamest way ocean. to travel. It's one ocean. Uh, yeah. It's not like you're a, yeah. any better if you take it further away. Right. Yeah. That blew my mind. Um, all right. So I want to ask you about this uh, because you post a lot of stuff about yoga and you recently did something that looked absolutely amazing and you went and I guess you got certified in Ecuador? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. Um, oh, it was, I've been wanting to get my yoga um, teacher certification for a very long time and this was actually, so it wasn't like as spur of the moment but it felt like it because it was more of like 
a necessity that I just needed to make a shift. Like my body felt it. I know you probably felt it. So many people felt like after 2018, it was like so intense, so heavy, so emotional. Something needed to change, like for me. Um, And I thought that was, I just had a, it was a sign. It was actually a poster. I came out of class, out of my um, hot yoga class. And just, I saw this poster, you know, learned, learned to teach in Ecuador. And I'm just like, hmm, that would be really great. And it was coming up in the next month. And I'm like, man, it would be so perfect to get away soon. Came out. And so I thought about it. I, I looked it up and then, okay. I went to class the next day too. And it came out and I kind of forgot about it. Uh, the next day and then I came out, saw the poster again. And then I was like, you know what? It just solidified it. And I, I just signed up right away. Um, and I, I just needed a shift, but like going back to the biggest problem in running multiple locations and, and having human staff, um, is, is making sure you're available and you're able to, to, to take care of all the things you need to take care of. And if you don't take care of yourself, you're not able to do that. And that's where I felt that I was. I felt like I was, the everything was coming down on me and I wasn't taking care of myself because I was trying to make sure everything was running and everyone was happy and every, you know, and the business was profitable. So there's so much that I was working towards and on besides myself. Mm. I mean, even though, you know, people do look at me from afar, even though in that last year it was, it was a lot of work, but, and still think that, well, you still did so much. And I thought, you know, I did, but obviously something wasn't enough because I was still really stressed out. So I had to make a drastic change. And I, I usually go on like once or twice a year, I'll do a retreat, like maybe for a week, like a yoga retreat or a meditation. I went on a silent meditation retreat two years ago. And then I went on a more of a like nature um, yoga retreat last year. Um, but then this year I felt like I needed to do something like a lot more hardcore. And this program was supposed to be a really good training, 30 days away from everything, secluded, um, just, you know, getting certified as a yoga teacher. And I thought that that would be the best thing I could do. But I also wanted to shift. I wanted to create new neural pathways in my brain and and make sure that I was still making progress as a human because all I've been doing was running businesses, making coffee, creating menus, you know, building out spaces. Like it just felt like kind of in the same, you know, um, realm and I needed something completely different to shift my, my brain and to shift my being into another state. So were you totally off the work grid? Like, were you disconnected from what was happening at the businesses? For the first three weeks, yeah. I was there for four weeks. Wow. I, I turned on my phone after the third week. Um, so no phone. Um, I would give myself once every few days. I said if they really needed me, they would need to email me. So I would open my computer um, maybe once a week before then. But it wasn't really... I, I wouldn't be on my computer more than 10 minutes. Just in, if there was emergencies, I told them to write me and, and say emergency, you know, whatever the question was. Um, but they did fine. And that was a really a testament to, to, to how well things were, were being run while I was gone. So that was, it felt good and it, it helped me relax as well. And, yeah. you know, just to let go, you just have to let other people do their thing. And, you know, it was, so I, I did disconnect, but it was, like I said, I had to check Every once in a while, and then I turned on my phone after the third, 
the third week just so I can actually get some pictures because I was getting no pictures and I was like, yeah, I want some pictures. Was most of that, you know, the, the practice and the training like outside and out in nature? Um, we took over um, a hotel oh, cool. and it was right on the beach. So yeah, the, the practice space was like an open kind of uh, the, the front area of the hotel and that was all open. Um, and so you, you could see the, the water was, you know, just right over across the street. Um, and so the morning practice was every morning, I think around 6 a.m. Um, so we'd have to be there at 6. We did a yoga practice and then we had lecture. Then we had lunch. Then we had a second lecture and then we practice again. And sometimes we had a third practice. Um, so it was all day. It's about like, you know, 12 to 14 hours a day Wow! with lecture, yoga practices and, and, and practice teaching is what they call it, where you're actually actively teaching another student, um, yoga. Do you sort of like take those lessons and like take what yoga gives you into your life when you're not doing yoga? So like when you're All working, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's definitely why I do it. I'm not doing yoga to do yoga cause it's sometimes difficult and you got to get to the place and no, it's, it's actually the reason I do it is because it's, it stills me outside of the, the room outside of the yoga studio. It's, you know, I, I find, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I don't live in pain, you know, like I, I feel I have a lot of energy, um, and my mind is still after a class. So if I can give myself an hour out of my day, that's an hour dedicated to healing yourself, to opening up your energy systems, to getting more in tune with who you are. Uh, so I really try to at least go once a day. Sometimes I'll do two or three times like a crazy person, but... <laughs> yeah, so again, like when we were talking about this stuff at dinner last night, um, and my girlfriend who works like crazy in a school, but also does yoga. So she does hot yoga. Um, Tell her to come to my class tomorrow or right Friday. In Williamsburg, huh? Mm-hmm. At Moto Yoga Moto. Metropolitan. I'll ask her if she knows it. Cool, cool. Um, but yeah, you know, she's always like, I'd like to do this more. Or I'd like to do a training. And it's just like, I've, I've got work. It's, it's like, so her comment was like, man, how does she have time to do that? Like on top of <laughs> running four businesses, like I'm assuming maybe you don't, ever like just waste time and sit around with Netflix or anything like that? No, I, I would love to Netflix more. Uh. <laughs> now that Game of Thrones is over, Charlie and I have, we need to set a, another time to yeah. to watch something. But I, I, like 2018, I can't tell you if I watched anything. I, 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 I'm, yeah, I don't know. I, I, want, I would like to watch more things, but any t- anything that I watch is always a documentary or Chef's Table or Mind of a Chef did you watch Ugly Delicious? Ugly Delicious, yeah. I, I like Ugly. Like, and, and the new one, like salt, fat, acid, heat or something like that one. I haven't new. seen that. I've, I've been watching the street food one. Um, it's only like six episodes, but that one's pretty cool too. Yeah, that's, but that would, but it's, uh, no, I, I, I would like to watch more things, but it is structuring your life too. I spend a lot of it like coming home and um, reflecting on my day. So giving myself reflection time and then giving myself time to cook dinner. That's a meditation for me. Eat. um, I do mindful eating. Mm. So eating with my eyes closed, tasting things, um, you know, giving myself time at night to really uh, become more in tune with with myself, but also to 
you if I, I heard something somewhere where if you don't reflect and if you don't write it down like on on what you've learned in your day, you don't make progress. So it's really important for me to come home and then really think about what went on in the day and how I feel like really going in and saying like how you feel. But it does mean, you know, with four places that Google Calendar is my best friend. Mm. So everything has a time like you've got this time and then right after I run to another meeting and right after I have someone else and then I have yoga and then I have my therapy and then I have dinner and then I always read before bed um, and I listen to affirmations before I fall asleep. Mm. So it is my day. And it's hard to, if if I steer from that, which I do sometimes, I'm like, oh, I want to go party. Oh, I want to be a normal person. You know, um, sometimes I do that, but then I pay for it. You yeah. know, and I have to, I also have to recognize that too. <laughs> so I'm not always like perfect, but I do realize that it you have to take responsibility for that, the choices that you make. Yeah, and I mean, everybody needs, you know, uh, to go a little crazy sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, I, I feel it. You know, sometimes I'm like so structured and I'm working so hard on myself and so hard on the business and so hard on this that I'm like, some days I'm like, God, I just want to throw my hands up. Mm. I just want to like go to a rave and yeah. like just, you know, party all night and like get messed up. <laughs> But this you know, is a good I spot for it. There's a lot of cool places to like go out and party and like DJ House events. Of yes and stuff. Is right yeah, yeah, here. right on the street. Yeah. What's the other one? It's called Elsewhere. It's not Elsewhere. far from here. Yeah. Is there? Yeah. There's a lot of good spots, and I used to I used to love that. I used to love um, dancing the night away and having a good time. Um, and I don't like not do it anymore ever. But there, it's it's planned out now more mm. than before. And like I said, my body as I get older doesn't bounce back as much as, as yeah, fast. So I, I understand also that. think about that. Like, do I really want to, or maybe there's a better way to, to have a good time. So I'm, you know, things shift, but yeah, but it is hard. I will say the struggle to, I, I call it be good and, and stay on, on course is, is a struggle. It's yeah. really tough. And, um, a lot of discipline has to be had and you have to create your own discipline. No one's going to tell you this is what you have to do. Disciplining yourself is the most difficult thing to do. And that's why a lot of people fail because they don't have the ability to discipline themselves. Like they go to work because that means they go to work for someone else because it means they're being told to be disciplined. You have to be here at this time. You have to, this is your deadline. This is what you need to do. Okay. You're, you are given discipline when you work for someone else. When you're an entrepreneur, you have to create your own and that makes it a million times harder. Have you failed at all, like on your way to realizing that? Have I what? Failed at all, like failed in your endeavors. Like how did you come to that realization? Yeah, because I fail all the time. Okay. I crash and burn. I, I, I yeah, like burnouts are real, Yeah. you know, in this business. And, and being an entrepreneur, burnouts are, are a really big thing. Um, and I've had them a lot. But every time, um, because of my practice and because of my studies, I realized like I have to use not to be down on myself about it and not to judge myself for it. Look at the burnout, look at what happened, look at the crash and say, okay, what did you do? What happened? How'd you get there? And, and let's put in things into practice to make sure you don't get there again, or at least not so bad, you know? Um, and that's what I work on. And what can I do differently that I didn't do before? And yeah, and just try, it's not, you can't, you can try to prevent it, but it's, I'm also aware 
that burnouts and crashes will happen. And so accepting that that will happen, mm. preparing yourself now when you're okay is the key. And then when you're there, you're like, okay, I'm here. I don't feel great. Maybe I'm depressed. Maybe I'm anxious. That's where I am. That's what I accept. But I'm okay. And you just have to find the tools that or utilize the tools that you put into place before that. For me, it's yoga. It's meditation. It's talking to friends. Um, it's reaching out, phone calls. Like before I used to do what I do, but never talk about it because I thought I'm the boss. I'm the leader. I don't want anyone to know what I'm going through. And then I learned over time recently that I need to talk about it. And so now I have at least the people who I feel safe that I can talk to when I'm not feeling, you know, 100% when I'm feeling down or depressed or anxious. It's like now making myself pick up the phone is a challenge. Mm. You know, making myself like talk to Charlie or talk to whoever. It's a challenge, but now I'm, I'm the more regular I do it, the more I feel like it it becomes easier, but also like you're, you're being honest with, with your other people. You're not hiding anything. You're like, okay, I'm human. Instead of pretending that, which I always did, pretended I was, I was from a different planet. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. You're, if you're, if you're the boss, you're the rock. Right. And then, you know, there's also like the perception and like the correct perception, like, well, this person's badass. This is like a strong woman who's doing all oh. these things, but it's like, yeah, you need your outlet as well. Sometimes, like, sometimes you, know. you need to just cry. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like on this floor right there. I'll come <laughs> home. I drop everything and I just lay fetus position right there and just cry. And that's it. It helps. <laughs> so what's next? I mean, you mentioned possibly like an all Cambodian restaurant. Do you think, you know, professionally this is what I want to do in five years or do you just, are you just going to let it happen? Yeah, I don't really plan too well. Um, I really try to flow with um, whatever the universe is, uh, has for me and just be open to possibilities. So I don't have a plan. My like close, like my most current plan is to um, reduce waste at my businesses to get a green certification and to apply for this grant. Uh, and to, to live a more zero waste life in, in my personal life. That's my plan. That's as far as I really go. Um, but I do dream of a lot of things. I would like to be out of the city or have a place out of the city soon because I've been here 12 years and mm. it does wear on you and people have to realize yeah. that the intensity and the anxiety that the city just you know fosters on, it, it's, it, it, it gets into you and you have to be able to... to break free from that at some point and see that it's not healthy. You need nature. Um, you need to, to, to put your hands in dirt or, or be planting things or to be chopping down wood for the fire. You need to do, we need to do that as humans. So I would love to, um, find property upstate and, uh, I would like to start a, a farm and a, and a greenhouse to grow herbs for oh, cool. the restaurant that we don't have here, which is the things I was telling you, like the raw rum and a lot of the herbs I use for spring rolls and dishes that I can get in Florida, but I can't get here. Um, I would like to, you know, start a farm that, that grows Southeast Asian vegetables. Um, oh, that's a really, really good idea. Or maybe like, like I said, a greenhouse uh, and then just have a little place that I can retreat to. Um, I want to create a retreat house that my staff can go to or anyone can go to where we... Um, you know, we'll meditate, we'll do yoga, we'll do a little farming and just to get people to understand that you need to get back to nature and you need to get back to, you know, being uh, a human because I don't think all of this technology and these buildings and it's not what we were 
like birth to do. Mm. You know, we we should be farming. We should be cooking. We should be, you know, um, supporting each other, sitting around a fire. And we don't do enough of that because we feel like we there, there's there's goals we need to achieve. You know, but um, but yeah, I, I always think about the next restaurant. To be honest with you, the next one I would um, I want to take cooking courses to learn a little bit more of like uh, maybe just like structured techniques, even though people say I don't need to, I, I love taking classes. Um, but I would eventually like to be the chef at my restaurant, like to actually be, oh, cool. I would like it to be small and I don't know where it would be, will be. Uh, but I would like to, you know, um, be a very, a minimal waste restaurant using everything that I can, um, you know, providing from, with, from my farm, providing produce for the restaurant. Uh, so that's, that's, those are the bigger dreams. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, cool. Let's, uh, we're about at the hour mark. So let's plug some stuff. Like how can people, the socials and stuff like that for the businesses? <laughs> um, well, I mean like just our, the Instagram little skips, uh, at little skips for Instagram. Um, I promote a lot of our events and things there. Um, at little Mo BK for the restaurant, uh, and for myself, um, and for, for personal growth and, and inspiration and motivation and, and leadership and food and coffee, uh, at I love you rainbow. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's pretty much it. Cool. As always, uh, everybody can go to the show notes and then you could just click the links for those things to get easy access to them. Uh, yeah, Linda, thank you so much. Yeah, this was great. Thank you. It was, it was really cool. It's nice to also... It's interesting to hear yourself speak about these things. And it also, I think, is it's nice. So I appreciate you asking me to do this because it really helps solidify some things that I'm doing, too. Because, you know, you don't really get to say these things out loud. But it helped me to feel like, oh, this is, am I doing this? Is this what uh, I just said it out loud? So, yeah, I've got to do this. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is also, I mean, I'm sure for listeners, it's really inspiring. It's really rewarding for me and like deeply inspiring for me to like be able to sit with so many different people and a diverse range of people uh, who are doing things different than I'm doing and like are quite different from me. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, this is like really enhanced my life. So, thank you. Yeah. I look forward to hearing your other podcasts too. Cool. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. That is a wrap on episode number 115 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you, Voyagers, for tuning in as always. Please make sure you go to the show notes for this episode to check out the links and to give Linda some love and to give her some follows. And my Patreon account is there as well. All right, that's it for the wrap today, folks. As always, thanks for listening and please take care of each other. Until next time, see ya.